Walter. I'm Scully. <laughs> Not really. I'm Gabby, and, and that's that's Kim. <laughs> <laughs> Who's scullying the gag? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it's because I like to think of things being paranormal and weird, and then Kim likes to reel me back to earth. I like to ground you in reality sometimes with evidence. Because listen, I'm I'm all about. I'm all about a good ghost story, and I believe in ghosts. However, asterisk, asterisk. <laughs> However, I no. I mean, I think you do need. You, you can't just go on. Oh, oh look at this orb. <laughs> it's a bug. Because it's a bug, or it's dust, or it's light, or it's literally anything but a ghost. Um, yeah. All right, Scully. Sounds good. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Jillian so, Anderson's uh, a national treasure. She's a babe. And oh, I'll be David Duchovny yeah. forever yeah. and ever. I like her but anyway, too. Animals. Did you know that David Duchovny has a band? Does he really? <laughs> he has like a legit band. He actually played in Seattle, I think, like a year ago or two Seriously? years ago. And I really wanted to go, but the tickets were really expensive. But I just want to see... Yeah, it's David Duchovny. I want to see him, like, with his, like, dad bod rocking out. I'm just kind of fascinated by this idea. Are there albums or things that exist, or do they just play live? I'm pretty sure there's albums. Because I want to know what I want to. And now, see, because we've been talking about this, anyone who's listening wants to know what David Duchovny's band. What's their name, at least, so we can look them up. David Duchovny's band. Is that the name of it? Because Hell or to- High Water. It's called Hell or High Water. Is the debut studio album. Oh, that's the album. I was going to say, that sounds like my dad's cover band. What's the name of the... Is the, the band, band called David Duchovny Band? I both it's give David Matt Duchovny Music. That. Yeah, it's legit also, David Duchovny Music. Like, I kind of love that basically he's just putting it out there. It's David, du- what, David Duchovny's band? Yeah. Is that the name of the band? Yeah. That's hysterical. David Duchovny's band. band. Yeah. Dude. Dude. That's, that's yeah. what you can do, though, when you're David Duchovny. You don't have to be good because people are going to show up and listen but to it because you're David good. Duchovny. But maybe, so maybe it's it good. I'm just saying. That's just putting it out there. Listen, we all know <laughs> you're coming to listen to me, not because you necessarily love my music, but because Wait. I'm David fucking Duchovny. Should we hear it? We should listen to it. <laughs> you guys, we haven't even talked about our topic yet, and we're already off track. Are you going to put a little sound clip in so the people at home can hear? Yes. Hi. Uh, <clears throat> I have this USB thing that goes in the... He's such a dad. <laughs> well, I mean, he is a dad. Yeah. He's a literal dad. Um, so these are the, the stripped-down versions of uh, songs on the album. So, Ooh, uh, stripped. I guess we call them acoustic, but uh, we seem to be Gem- amplified. Generally, yes. So it's kind of in, in between. But All right, I'm fast-forwarding. Thank you. Steps across the I can't do this anymore. <laughs> All right, David Duchovny's band is really interesting, guys. If you want to check it out, we're not getting paid by them, but if you want to, it's like Mulder, but as a 
dad musician. It, it's it's the band that your dad put together in the garage if he was David Duchovny and could get a wide platform for it. In 1994. In 1994. So, <laughs> that's not our episode today, but it's we just not. wanted to give you a really lovely intro because all of our content has been pretty dark lately and we haven't lovely. really discussed how dark it is. I mean, Kim, we were just saying how, you know, this episode's not going to be quite as dark as putting right. body parts in pots and pans, maybe poking them with a fork to see if they're done yet, ready to eat, um, or, you know, torturing people in an attic. Torturing so, people in an attic, yeah. What are we or talking like about today? Vampire casket ladies. Vampire casket ladies. That's yeah. be the title of that episode. It should be. <laughs> missed opportunity, Gabby. Missed opportunity. Shucks. The vampire casket ladies. I mean, that could be another, uh, that could be a Patreon episode. Or, or that's the name of our band. Oh, you guys, stay tuned for the stay band called the tuned. Casket Ladies <laughs> by Ghoulish Tendencies. Anywho. Anywho. Kim, what's our topic today? Our topic today, uh, it's one that I'm actually, I know it's, I always feel weird saying I'm stoked to talk about this when it's murder. And ghosts. It's murder ghosts. Yay. Woo. Uh, but it is the case of Elma Sands. Uh, her full name was Gielma or Gielma, but she's known by everybody as Elma. So Elma Sands is what I'm going to be referring to her as the episode goes on. Uh, Levi Levi Weeks and the Manhattan Murder Well. Ooh, Murder Ooh. Well. Sounds murder like a good time. Well. Now, uh, as always, uh, when you're dealing with any sort of case that took place in the past, and this took place uh, a few hundred years ago. Primarily, it takes place in 1799 and 1800. Um, the data is conflicting. <laughs> Always. Always. Always conflicting. And and I was pulling newspapers from uh, 1800, mostly from, from January and March of 1800. And even within those papers, a lot of them were going from the same source material. And so if there was any discrepancies, they then all shared that same discrepancy and it it's the kind of thing then that would get passed on so it's kind of a general disclaimer anytime you're dealing with a case such as this finding the correct details and trying to to kind of uh boil down what happens is frustrating would you call that scullying it <laughs> sure <laughs> And that I actually like did my dil- due diligence and read <laughs> as far back as I could. So this is not creepy pasta. It's not creepy. My God, it's not creepy pasta. <laughs> I did. I, I worked really hard to try to like double or triple verify everything I read. Okay, fair. Um, if I'm going to state something as fact, I'm trying to make sure it actually is fact. And in cases where there was conflicting evidence or conflicting data evidence, evidence. Uh, then then I will say so and 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 that actually starts with uh, Elma herself and her early life which is that it was really hard to find a whole lot about Elma's early life um, she was born around 1777 uh, her father or her uncle again different newspapers said different things was a man named mr. Sands who was a preacher in the Society of Friends oh, which are Quakers that's so cute it's Quakers. Um, and Quaker friends. Quaker friends. He allegedly passed away. And her mother seemed to have been quite infirm. But I actually only found one reference to her mother in one article. Uh, and nailing down her family situation, there was references to her being illegitimate. 
which might explain why I was struggling to find information on her early life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But by 1799, she's 22 years old and she's living with Catherine and Elias Ring. And again, another place where there's conflicting information. The trial transcripts described them as distant relatives. Most sources refer to them as cousins. Um, Catherine herself said during the trial that Elma lived with them uh, for three years, quote, as their child. So regardless of their exact relation, they were close. Uh, There was also references to her being Elma's aunt, so that's also a possibility. But uh, Elma and Catherine were very close, and Catherine was essentially a a, a mother figure to her. Got it. Uh, Elias Ring's sister, Hope, also lived with them. Sometimes she's reported as Elma's sister, but uh, the court transcripts, again, and I'm, I'm relying very heavily on the court transcript for a lot of the verification I was doing for data. So the court transcripts identified her as um, Elias's uh, sister. But her last name's Sand, so I can understand that confusion. Catherine also referred to her throughout the trial as her sister, but that's also kind of that relative thing of like, oh, they're your sister-in-law, but you just call them your sister. Yeah. So anyway, you've got you've got Elma, who lives with Catherine and Elias, and you have Hope, who also lives with Catherine and Elias. Now, Catherine and Elias ran a boarding house at 208 Greenwich Street in 1799, where Elma lived. Uh, According to Literary Gazette of Walpole, New Hampshire, she was uh, vivacious and maintained an amiable and irreproachable character. What does that even mean? She was cool. Okay. (laughs) She was good. good. She was a nice young lady. She was a good girl. Like amiable and irreproachable character, that, that means she was a good girl, not a floozy. And vivacious. I mean, she was... <laughs> well, no, this becomes an important plot point. <laughs> so she became acquainted with Levi Weeks. Uh, he had moved into the boarding house in July of 1799. He was the brother of Ezra Weeks. Uh, Ezra is a prominent builder, and he took part in the building of Gracie Mansion, which is the official residence of the mayor of New York. Uh, if you were a New Yorker or anyone on the East Coast, do you know Gracie Mansion? He was a prominent figure in New York society. Initially, when he moved in, Levi, who seemed to be a little bit of a ladies' man, he paid a lot of attention to a woman who also lived there named Margaret Clark. Uh, Possibly was also flirting a little bit with Hope. But then he kind of turned his attention towards Elma. Like, attention. He would spend hours in her bedroom with, oh, the do- gross. with the door locked. What is he doing in her bedroom with the door locked? Checkers. They're playing checkers. That's a game right? with checkers. That's what, that's, that's what you do in the bedroom with the door locked, isn't it? Isn't it, Gabby? I don't know what uh, you do in your bedroom with the door locked, Kim. <laughs> but I, I sure as hell don't play checkers. Just saying. Different time, different place. I, I by myself, so <laughs> I'm playing checkers. Um, no. Now, <laughs> so Catherine, Aunt Catherine, cousin Catherine, whoever she was. Um, in September, she left town, 
uh, there was fears of, of the fever, yellow fever. And so she was gone about six weeks. And it seems like that's probably where things sort of heated up because you didn't have a chaperone around. Uh, and it, it was enough that other people were commenting on it and thought that they were lovers. Uh, he was seen heading into her room at night in only his nightshirt. <laughs> Did and he that checkers? One, Did he bring his checkers? <laughs> he was bringing his checkers board and uh, checkers and, his and chess, air quotes. chess pieces mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Air, air quotes chess pieces. <laughs> it's the rook. He was giving her the rook. <laughs> Sounds like a personal problem. <laughs> uh, but like one of the papers described it. I love this brazen nightly visits. Bow chicka bow wow. <laughs> So also, of you. <laughs> well, brazen is an underutilized word. Brazen is. is a fantastic word. Um, but I mean, also, that is, it, there's some balls involved in that. Like you're in. Wait, a, literally or figuratively? Well, both. I mean, <laughs> presumably he had both of them. I didn't check. I'm not going to dig him up and look, but still. I mean. That's all on you, girl. That's all on you. <laughs> That's some evidence I don't need. Evidence evidence uh but no uh you're you're living in a boarding house with a fair bit of other people and with her family so even if if the matriarch is off like there's still people around who are going to see and report back what's going on right uh and there was also reports of noises not haunted noises yet right Uh, well you know playing checkers is very noisy (laughs) quote-unquote playing Checkers. Checkers. Is that going to be a hashtag for this episode now? Hashtag playing checkers. checkers. (laughs) Folks at home, let us know about playing checkers. Uh, Please don't. Actually, I I don't really need to know that. (laughs) I I take it back. I take it all back. Locked doors. The locked door. So things are hot and heavy. Um, She like likes them, and uh, I mean, this is a time where if 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 there are noises and and people hear you playing checkers <clears throat> um a, a lady could get a reputation if you don't put a ring on it so uh, december and elma confides in hope um that they were going to be getting married that the plan was to leave on december 22nd at 8 p.m and she had said that he had specifically said to her keep this a secret from from your family which I mean, like, P.S. ladies, like, if a dude tells you to keep it a secret, you're probably going to get murdered. It's just, I mean, you just are. Like, That's PSA. just like a lesson in life right there. That's, I mean, that's just, at this point, it's just, just be a given. When a guy says, hey, yeah, oh, no, sweetie, I'm totally going to marry you, but don't tell any of your family and let's meet somewhere in the dark. You're, you're, <laughs> you're, you're going to get murdered. Uh So, but she felt like she had to tell her family. So she told Hope. And then Hope, of course, told Catherine on the 21st of December. So at this point, like prominent ladies of the household, they're all up to date on what's going on. So it's, it's dinner time on the 22nd and Catherine tells Elma, like, I know what's up. And she said to Elma, like, I want to be there. I, you know, I love you. You're like a daughter to me. I want to be there when you get married. And, and this actually really upset Elma. Cause she's like, no, no, no. 
Levi was really specific. I don't say anything to you. And and he's going to be really upset and he won't allow it. He wants the marriage to be completely secret, which again, like, come on, big neon warning signs, flashing red lights, flashing red lights, flashing. So uh, about eight in the evening, she she gets dressed up. Catherine helps her. She's waiting for Levi. She'd borrowed a, a muff from a neighbor. And a handkerchief from one of the other boarders, promising she'd return them later. Uh, Levi had left the house about 5 p.m. that day. And Elma's waiting. She's waiting for, for Levi to return. She's upstairs, like, fixing her shawl. And Catherine hears uh, voices. He, he, he comes back. She sees him. She goes upstairs. And she hears the door shutting. And this is really important because it, it, and it becomes important later on. She did not see them leave together. Who didn't see who leave together? No one saw Catherine or uh, Catherine did not see Elma and Levi leave together. No one saw them leave the house together. Hours go by about 10 PM, little after 10 PM that night, Levi returns to the boarding house by himself. And later, Catherine would describe him as looking pale and much agitated. Oh. Uh, She asked, where's Elma? Because as far as Catherine's concerned, they just got married. And he's like, I don't know. You tell me where Elma is. That's weird. Uh, yeah, that is weird. And and so she's like, well, maybe Elma went to return the muff because she did say she would return it soon or, or was staying with a neighbor. But Elma never came back. And the next morning, she's still not back. And Levi's like, oh, hey, where's Elma? And Catherine's like, I I don't know. And, and things aren't really adding up. So Hope had been gone. Hope had gone out. Hope gets home. And she basically like verbally attacks Levi. She's just like, Dude, where's Elma? You two were supposed to be married last night. Uh, you left together. And his response is, and this is, uh, if she had left with me, she would have returned with me. Which also, can we just, like, what that's kind of a thing? Uh, right? <laughs> that's the weirdest thing to say. Like, that's, like, the biggest assumption and also a very, like, massive deflection. Oh, totally. And it's kind of a dick move when, like, you've got her family kind of panicking because you've got a missing girl. And so he claims, like, I hadn't seen her since she left the room last night. I was shocked that that anyone could think that Levi would have been with Elma last night. Huh. So the 24th, it's a day later. Still no Elma. Family is really, really panicking. And Levi's behaving strangely. And Catherine confronts him and is like, listen, we know that you were supposed to get married. Now, at the trial, Catherine would say he went pale. Again? Is he agitated also? She didn't specifically say agitated, but she said he made it very clear he'd had no intention of marrying her and that they'd never planned to marry. And he was really upset that it would be suggested. So things are just not adding up. And weirdly enough, this is on, again, the same day, the 24th of December, Christmas Eve, a well nearby 
there's sleigh marks. Oh my God, was it Santa? It was Santa. (laughs) He dropped a girl down. Oh, spoiler alert. Oh no, why? You gave it away. (laughs) He didn't do anything. He didn't do anything. Santa Santa went down the chimney. Levi Santa. Levi is Santa. Santa is Levi. Is that the story? Conspiracy. This is the story of Christmas past. Aww. But no, seriously, there's this well. Yeah. There's boot prints around it in the snow, sleigh marks, and the the cover to it's kind of a jar. Which, like, I'm sorry. You got somebody missing. You've got a well that looks like it's a jar. And nobody thinks... You know what we should do? We should look in the well. Particularly after <laughs> Oh no, it gets better. These two boys, they were they were playing by the well and they found the muff that belonged to Elma. Oh my god. But not a single one of them thought, you know what we should do? We should look in the well. These people. And there's okay, so there's another added weirdness to this whole thing and it's about the well itself. Okay. Uh, so the well itself was on uh Spring Street. And what was called at the time the Broadway, which I just sort of like that. Uh, but the, <laughs> the Broadway, the probably because it was a, it was probably a Broadway, and that's why they called literally. it the Broadway. Yeah, yep. and it was called Spring Street because there was a spring there. Wow, they uh, were so literal. They were, well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> but, that reminds me of like Mitch Hedberg. He said he. <laughs> I have to do a Mitch Hedberg joke that he would love to see a forklift lift a fork because it would be way too literal. Anyway, go on. Okay. But so this is extra weird because this well was tapped by Aaron Burr. Like, wait. Aaron Burr. Like of Hamilton, Aaron Burr? Of Hamilton. And December 22nd of 1799, which is the same day that Elma disappeared, Burr founded the Manhattan Water Company with plans to use steam engines to draw water through wooden pipes to a reservoir on Chambers Street. However, Burr's all sneaky because he put this clause in the charter that allowed investors to start a bank, and the bank would later become Chase Bank. What? Don't drop your mic. I, I I might break it if I did, but like I you start you know that was the kind of crazy thing when I was doing this research is there was so many of these side tangents of of things that kept connecting together. Anyway, random side trivia. Uh, December twenty sixth, Catherine has another strange conversation with Levi. He Santa. insists, and with Santa, yes, with Santa. It's the day after Christmas. He's cranky. He's been working all night. Give the guy a break. Uh, he insists that she should just accept that Elma is probably dead. And Wait, go what? On with your he life. said that he said, he said that Elma is probably dead. Like three days after they can't yeah. find her. It's it's. He's basically saying he's like, well, I don't know. Maybe she committed suicide. What? Did he say anything about her jumping into a well? <laughs> well, he did say that he heard her state that if she had laudanum, she'd swallow it. Which Catherine called out as being BS because Wait, Elma. What was it that she had? Laudanum. Uh, opium. It was oh, a basically oh, a form okay. of opium, like legal opium. But Got it was it. used as a, a, a treatment for a lot of things. And. Ah. The, the thing is, is that Elma, especially the past year, she'd been ill pretty frequently. And so she could have had access to it if she wanted it hmm. so elma's missing still missing december 28th levi tries to press hope to sign this official document that basically said 
Elma and him weren't serious and never had they never had any intention of getting married. What? And she was yeah. And he was like, if you could just sign this thing, and she was like, <laughs> nah, nah, bro. Screw you. Yeah, nah, bro. Not happening. <laughs> so December 29th, um, uh, Elias or Elias, I guess it's Elias. I don't know why I keep calling him Elias. Elias, uh, he used grappling hooks to start dragging the Hudson, and they're looking for a body. Hmm. No body. You know Finally. They didn't look in the well. They didn't look in the well. You know when they, well. they finally looked in the well? On January 2nd. Elias inspects the well. They were using poles to kind of, you know, stir things up and look. And uh, he spots a calico gown. Uh-oh. And he recognized the gown as Elma's. They found her body in the icy water. Uh, it was heavy. because it, it was the dresses are heavy, the petticoats. It was saturated with water. They had sure. to send for a rope to get it out of the well. And they had to keep the body afloat while they were sending for this rope. Uh, she didn't have shoes on or a hat or a shawl. Her gown was torn open above the waist. Stockings torn at the toes. And there were scratches on them as though she had been drug over the grounds. Oh, no. Uh, when they lifted her out, part of what was reported is that her body was stiff, but that her neck was very loose oh no does that mean she had a broken neck well and this is something that get is open for debate because uh so she had swelling around the crown of her head marks on her neck chin and breast and there's conflicting doctor testimony about it because you have one doctor saying that he believes like he thought her clavicle was broken and it looked like she was strangled but her neck wasn't broken but there's a lot of speculation about this. And another doctor who's like, her clavicle totally wasn't broken. And maybe her neck was broken. We don't know. It looks like, I don't know, most of what I was reading seems to support it wasn't broken. But it's almost always reported that her neck was broken. So this kind of gets into one of those weird little gray areas in history where you have a lot of conflicting data. And without us exhuming the body... And doing another look at it. I don't know that we're going to know for sure. And I'm not going to make you do that. I know you love doing your research. I do love doing my research. Could you imagine if I was like, hey, Kim, uh, next time, can you just exhume the body and just double check? Listen, if you could help make that happen, I would. I mean, you are Scully after all. I am Scully. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I don't know how the state of New York could feel about that. (laughs) I mean, you are going there like in two days. That is true. Actually, technically speaking, when this comes out. Oh, I'll I'll be there, actually. You'll be in New York. That's your homework. Field trip. Field trip. Exuma body. Yay. It would be nice to have an official reason to exhume a body. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> she says so casually. <laughs> Your mom would be so proud. <laughs> My mom would be proud. She really Norma would. would be so proud. Norma's the proudest. Norma's the proudest. <laughs> the coroner would rule her death a willful homicide. Uh, despite, again, popular reports that she is, and she's listed this way a lot in articles now that talk about it. They say she was pregnant. She was not pregnant. At the time oh, of the death. okay. Because I heard, I feel like I've heard the story a long time you, ago. You probably did, yeah. And it talked about a uh, unwed, pregnant woman was thrown down a well. She was not pregnant. Uh, it's reported she was pregnant, and in fact, contemporary. Uh, you know, you read articles, and 
you get a little like because so many of them are reporting things that are false and you're like listen i get where there's there's some of this yes there's some of these details there's a lot of conflicting stuff there's a few things the her not being pregnant that's, that's there's kind big. of that's well and that that's one where i'm like there's really no reason for i think even her wikipedia page says they thought she, you know some people think she's pregnant she wasn't it's not one that's hard to disprove anyway um, also, I have a question. Willful. Yes. What did you say it was? Was it willful homicide? Willful homicide. It was what, what one of the mean? articles. Uh, I suppose it's sort of the difference between voluntary and involuntary manslaughter. You can kill someone accidentally and you can kill someone on purpose. Got it. It made it. I feel like that verbiage makes it sound like she was willfully murdered where she's like, just kill me. I'll just I'll just jump in this well. I'll stand right here for you. Or maybe I'll sit so you can drag me and then throw me in, but just do it. Like that's what willful homicide sounds like to me, but clearly I was wrong. So, uh her body was put on display. Oh no. Like within the house and also outside the house. And part of the reason they did that was de- they were deliberately trying to outrage people. Which they did. I mean, obviously. People were calling for blood. Because this is also, you know, this case, and it was a really, really big deal. Because this kind of destroyed what, like, this was the start of the end of New York's innocence. (laughs) Yeah. It really had a huge, profound impact because this was a, quote unquote, nice girl who was murdered and and in a really sad sad way sure so levi's arrested charged with elma's murder um he asks his brother ezra to help says to ezra gets me the best lawyers now this is a time too this is this is the beginning stages of our country mm-hmm. as a defendant you didn't automatically get a lawyer at this point Mm. But when you have money, you hire two of the very best lawyers. And some of you at home Ooh. will have heard of them. Ooh, In fact, I think I know who them. it is. One Ooh. of them is Aaron Burr himself. Oh, whom we I were talking about. Aaron Burr, who also happened to own the well. So there possibly is a conflict of interest there. I don't know. Now, the second lawyer is one you <laughs> might be familiar with as well. And the case is mentioned in one of the songs made popular by the musical about his life. Alexander this Hamilton! Alexander Hamilton. My my name is Alexander Hamilton. And here's a little music clip that we're going to play for you right now. Gentlemen of the jury, I'm curious. Bear with me. Are you aware that we're making history? This is the first murder trial of our brand new nation. The liberty behind deliberation. I intend to prove beyond the shadow of a doubt with my assistant counsel. Oh, counsel Hamilton, sit down. A client, Lemmy Weeks, is innocent. Call your first witness. That's all you had to say. Okay. And the clip mentions my client, Levi Weeks, is innocent. And it it's about... There is a clip in a song where he's talking about the trial and how he served on the trial. That's wild. But also yeah. leave it to Kim to find a musical that has a clip about a murder that's relevant to the topic of our podcast episode. Kim, I am impressed. But also that means we have to hashtag the crap out of Hamilton. Oh, because shit. that'll get some people listening to it who might not otherwise. Well, shit. Well, Hamilton it is. So 
there's publicity left and right about this case. And I have to say that reading some of these old newspaper articles, the way they sensationalized them was ridiculous. Uh, so there's one. This was the, the literary, literary Gazette of Walpole, New Hampshire. And they talked about the case. And, and this is them. This is about a week after. This is when they found her body. As the public mind appears to be greatly agitated with respects to the melancholy business and anxious to ascertain the cause which led to her premature death, we have endeavored to investigate the matters as far as possible and now lay it before our readers. That's cool, right? That's That's real dramatic. It's real dramatic. I know, but I love it. And so this other newspaper, I'm sorry, I just, I was eating this up. Little did she expect that the arrangements she had been making with so much care, instead of conveying her to the temple of Hymen, would direct her paths that born from which no traveler returns. Well, it's so dramatic. This sounds like it's in a play itself. Like, it's part of Hamilton. It's ridiculous. So, everybody's talking about this. And this is... One of the reasons why this was such a big deal is this is the first recorded murder trial in our history. Oh, this wow. Was the really? First time there was a stenographer recording this trial. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yep. And let me tell you, I read all 105 pages. Not surprised. <laughs> of these transcripts. Not surprised. So trial began on March 31st and they assembled at 10 a.m. Uh, it lasted two to three days. And, and, Uh, It took me a while to figure out why there was such a discrepancy in the two to three. And what I realized is that um, the trials then, or at least this specific trial, they weren't taking breaks. So they took one break because the jurors were basically like begging the judge for a break to go to sleep. So it it was really two days, but it went into the third day, which is why you see it listed as both two or three days. That's Uh, interesting, though. Allegedly, too, there were people outside the courthouse yelling, crucify him, crucify him. I could not verify this, but my, that's dramatic. Why I like some of these old cases is is they do play out like a melodrama. And I, I realize I don't want to make light of this. There was a, a, a young lady who was murdered. Sure, and it's but, horrible. Right. But, but when, you're, when you're a couple hundred years detached from something... It is easier to look at the whole situation and, and find some of the humor in it. Um, the prosecutor, and we have we have a winner for best name of the week. Oh, are you going to date him? <laughs> I kind of want to. Uh-oh. Assistant Attorney General Cadwallader Colden. Wait, excuse me? Cadwallader? Cadwallader Colden? <laughs> I feel like if you get another cat, you need to name him Cadwallader. Cadwallader. <gasps> you could name him Catwallader. <laughs> so dumb. Sorry, guys. Dad oh. joke. But oh. like, wait. Oh. So, so Cadwallader. Catwallader. Catwallader. For those of you home who are taking part in a drinking game, you can now take a shot. Uh, <laughs> he gave his opening remarks. And he said that when a meow, young girl. Meow, meow. So, okay. So he said Elma was a young girl who till her fatal acquaintance with the prisoner was virtuous and modest. And it will be material for, for you to remark always of a cheerful disposition and lively manners, though of a delicate constitution. 
We expect to prove to you that the prisoner won her affections and that her virtue fell sacrifice to his assiduity. So there you go. <laughs> All right. Um, she was a good girl till she met this bad boy. And, and then she, she got she, she she got moited. She got moited. Uh, I mean, he, he, he pretended to be honorable and have honorable intentions and then deceived her. Thus, the case comes forth. Um, now, it's hard because so much of the case, to be fair, was uh, not concrete evidence. It was a lot of um, circumstantial evidence. Mm, okay. So, like, there was a witness who saw Levi Weeks at the well a week prior to Elma's disappearance, allegedly measuring the well's depths. That doesn't look great. A witness who heard a sleigh leaving the boarding house right after 8 p.m. matching the story of Elma meeting with Levi. Okay. Uh, more than one witness that saw a sleigh with two men and a woman that night. Uh, speculation that could have been both Ezra, the brother, and Levi in the sleigh. Um, there were two different witnesses who heard a woman calling for help near the well. Which Man. also does anything too so of course not uh another witness who said he saw a man stalking the well uh reports of a sleigh that matched the description of a sleigh owned by ezra as well as the horse almost as running as well them as the reindeer the reindeer Santa. sorry well, I just always think this is like a this is kind of it makes me think of jingle bells in a really morbid way this dashing so through the snow in a one horse open sleigh or the fields we go Down laughing the all well the way. she goes laughing no. all the way <laughs> saw these people like seeming to be in a good mood and that's because she was gonna get murdered oh that's so dark. it was pretty bad a lot of people seemed to link him to the scene but there again there wasn't really any direct physical evidence. So the defense laid out a very different picture of things. Um, they used the fact that there was public outcry for the crime and the fact that everybody was so outraged that it was it was prejudicial to their client, which we've seen in a lot of cases. I mean, you try someone in the court of public opinion. Uh, they said she was immoral and suicidal, and they tried to claim she was a laudanum addict. And that she killed herself by throwing herself down the well to repent for her wicked ways. Ugh. I suppose she strangled and beat herself, too. <laughs> oh, my God. And I mean, I'm, like, I'm sorry for, like, Hamilton super fans, but they slut shamed her. They, they victim blamed her. I unintentionally rhymed. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Kim. Well done. It's, it's, I don't think I can make it. They, they estranged her, arraigned her. I don't know. More rhymes. Yeah. Um, they also cast out on some of the witnesses because they said they were common and uh, could not be considered reliable. They brought forth That's their own stupid. doctor. He said he believed the cause of death was drowning and that many of the marks could be explained by the changes of body that they go through death or her hitting the well when she went down. Uh, Ezra, Levi's brother, testified that his brother came to his house to have supper, which was a normal part of their routine, which, but that gave him an alibi. But did he really do that? We don't know. Da -da -da. And this was something that bothered some people. Levi never took the stand. He never defended himself Wait, in that really? respect. Really? Ezra took the stand, That's but Levi so did not. 
However, I found out some stuff in my research. It was near the tail end of my research before we were going to be recording. So I didn't get to dig quite as deep into this. But the more I started digging into this, the more there was some weird side parts of the story. And and history is – we've talked about this before. It, it's The narrative is shaped by whoever's telling it. Right. The people most vocal in this were were her family. And they really believed Levi did it. That's the narrative that's continued through the years. However, it does look like there is another possible suspect who I'm going to be talking about in a second. But at this point, you have both sides have made their case. Uh, the judge, John Lansing, he gave remarks to the jury and and basically kind of saying to them, this guy's a gentleman. And I'm I'm not saying that, you know... You should find them innocent, but also the evidence is pretty circumstantial. And at this point, too, you've got – because a, lo- a lot of people in, in come back and say, well, the jury only deliberated five minutes, that he must have been innocent. The jury deliberated five minutes because they were going on day three with, like, two hours of sleep. So the situation wasn't exactly fair to begin with. Because this was also, again, fairly unprecedented. Right. The trial was this circus of events where people weren't sleeping – But also you have Ezra claiming he was with his brother that night. Ezra, again, was a prominent member of society. And the judge had a point. The evidence was circumstantial. You know, this is nighttime in the winter. It's easy to mistake somebody and think there's someone else. You see a man, and after the fact, you know this woman was murdered, and you know this guy's a suspect, are you really identifying him correctly or do you, are you just assuming this is the guy that did it? Jury deliberates five minutes, declared him not guilty. New Yorkers are pissed. Oh yeah, I can imagine. And he had to almost immediately flee the area for fear of being killed. Sure. Now her family was not happy, understandably. Right. They're devastated already, and and now this guy that they are absolutely 100% convinced murdered uh, their their relative has, has been let go. So it's said that Catherine laid a curse. Oh, yay. I love a good we, curse. Good curse. Jake Bird curse is my first thing that always comes to mind for me. Yep. Uh, they laid a curse. And, and this was described by Hamilton's grandson, uh, Alan McLean Hamilton, uh, that she said she shook her fist in Hamilton's face and said, if thee dies a natural death, I shall think there is no justice in heaven. And there was another okay. account. And, and see, I found multiple accounts that gave that same quote. There was one account that said she said, I call upon the almighty to curse you all and he will do it. I don't know that I particularly believe that one. Okay. But for those of you who somehow don't know at this point, uh, Aaron Burr would later unsuccessfully run for president, become the vice president, and kill Alexander Hamilton in a duel in 1804. Oh, shucks. He just gave away the Hamilton play. Spoiler. Listen, in the very first song, he says that like he's the damn guy that killed him or whatever. It's so, okay. It's actual history, and we know what happened. So whoever didn't know history. that is uh, you, you're snoozing. You're snoozing. Uh, 
Now, Levi would go and settle in uh, Natchez, Mississippi, and he actually lived a pretty decent life. Like, he got married, he had four kids, he worked as an architect and a builder, and he died in 1819 at the age of 43. The judge in the case, though, the judge disappeared. Wait, like, what? He, like, actually disappeared. <laughs> John Lansing. So he, he, re- he was chancellor... It was this high up uh, judicial position. He retired when he was 60, spent about the next decade and a half working uh, in private practice. And then he just up and disappeared. He was leaving his hotel to mail a letter and he was never seen again. Okay, so did he fall into a well or? It's one of the speculation because this was a big, big news at the time. So what they didn't know, they thought, well, maybe he drowned. He fell off and, and like the dock and floated away. But. There was a publication in 1882 that claimed he was murdered by a bunch of businessmen who wanted him out of the way. Huh. So anyway, that's just, again, the, the, the weird little tangents and connections of this case, the Alexander Hamilton, Aaron Burr, the judge disappearing, the, the Aaron Burr connection with the well, there's all of these strange things. Weird stuff. Stuff. Which brings me to the alternative suspects. Okay, let's get to it. So, a man named Richard David Croucher. Did he, he was, actually crouch? He was another boarder. He was another guy at um, the boarding house. He had shown an interest in Elma and allegedly was quite upset that she was favoring Levi. Oh, no. Okay. And allegedly. I like that I'm saying allegedly like I'm afraid somebody is going to sue me for slander 300 years later. Uh, 200 years later. Whatever. <laughs> 300 details. years later. Details, details. Details. What day is it? I don't know. Uh, so, so they quarreled. And it said that he was spreading gossip about Levi. Oh. So one also has to wonder, even some of the stories about the two of them, was that him? Now, after Weeks was arrested, um, Croucher started publishing handbills that were like, this dude is guilty. And it's also said he was seen hanging around the well the night that Elma disappeared. Who saw him? Did they say? No. And that's where I say I just started to go down this rabbit hole. And I and maybe this is a good fault. We may have to do a follow-up as Kim continues to pursue this Richard David Croucher line. Um, however, I also come back to, was he the one that was seen? Or did somebody see a dude around a well? Right. Like, you know, powdered wig, trousers. I don't know. All men in a powdered wig look alike to me. Um <laughs> <laughs> so however and this is one of the reasons why i find him to be a credible suspect this is not just oh he's a guy who was maybe jealous so there are sources that say he married this american widow and it was right around when the trial was happening and she had okay. a 13 year old daughter uh, and a historian named henry lodge said that he was later convicted of raping his 13 year old stepdaughter oh my god boarding house and during the trial his wife testified she feared she would suffer 
Elma Sands' fate if she reported the crime. Oh, no. But that's where I say, this is a rabbit hole I need to go down. This is a whole other... Oh, yeah, I could see that. A whole other thing as I, you know, I have to find the trial transcript or something to read through it. Um, so did they ever accuse anyone officially? Uh, no, it was only Levi Sands is to this day the person most commonly thought to. And I mean, again, I have to say I am myself pretty much mostly on board the Levi Weeks. I, I think I called him Levi Sands. Sorry. Mostly aboard the Levi Weeks train. Uh, finding this Richard David Croucher. I'm curious. I'm going to pursue it further. But uh, I don't know. You know, a lot of the. The behavior that was reported about Levi, all of that was coming from Catherine and Hope, who both had reason. They were really sure it was Levi. So, I mean, again, it's if biased. Biased. So yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm really, really torn. Um, however, that's the the murder portion. Okay. Let's talk some ghosts. Ooh. Spooky. Spooky. The ghost of Elma Sands is said to haunt uh, where her body was dumped, the well. And lo- some of the locals refer to her as the Spring Street Ghost. I've About 1820, this. houses were built over the property. So it sealed the well in the basement of one of the buildings. It's now 129 Spring Street. In case you want to go visit. If you want to go visit, which I'll tell you about my visit to 129 Spring Street. <gasps> you went? Uh, It was a German beer hall for a while, and it was empty for years. And in 1954, the Manhattan Bistro took over the space. And sometime in the 80s, one of the owners had heard some stories and became curious. And they were already planning to kind of excavate down down in the basement. They thought maybe they could turn it into another part of the bistro. What they discovered was a seven-foot-tall well. I thought you were going to say seven foot tall woman. (laughs) I don't know if they looked in the well. Who knows? (laughs) So, and I mean, the the well was in remarkable condition considering it had been like buried in the basement for years. Um, Now they started hearing banging when no one was around. Apparitions seen both in the basement and sometimes on the street because people who weren't in the building would report seeing a woman with long hair dressed in a dirty dress that was covered in moss. People will report hearing screams or cries of a woman around spring and green, sometimes heard pleading for her life, although to be fair, it's New York City. So that could just be a regular person. That could just be be Tuesday. (laughs) Uh, Could be. I lived there for a very long time. I can I can say that. Uh, and there, there's a, a book that gave me some really good details on the ghost stories. Uh, it's called Ghosts of New York City by Therese Lanigan Schmidt. And it's listed in our sources, which you can find on our website. And she accounts a story that was given to her by one of the uh, now former managers, a man named Michael Meyer. <laughs> oh, Lechneen. that's so appropriate. Michael McNeen. But the Meyer part made me giggle. Um And so he talked about the time that an investigator came to check out the well. He wanted to look and maybe take some readings. And he said when he tried to open the door that leads to the basement, it wouldn't open. Hmm. And it only would open after the investigator left. They were like, nope, you can't investigate here. But who 
Apparently. So there's there lights that reported that go on and off, the sound of dishes breaking when no one else is around. Uh, one of the former managers, a guy named Tommy King, he reported seeing an ashtray fly across the room and smash into the wall. Oh, dang. Yeah. Guess she doesn't like smoking. So it's it's a clothing company now. It's called uh, COS. It's a sister company of H&M. The employees there, they will blame her for some of the weird activity that happens, the elevator not working, merchandise missing or breaking. And so I went there. Uh, this was a couple a couple visits ago. I, I go back to New York frequently. Again, as I mentioned, I lived there for a very long time. I went to school there. I go back multiple times a year. And uh, so a few visits ago, I decided to check out the famous Manhattan murder well. And I, I knew the basics of the story i i now know a whole lot more about the story <laughs> but i i went to the clothing store and it's it's a men's clothing store and so i'm looking around and i'm i'm i i knew it had to be in the basement and so i i go downstairs and on the the lower level lo and behold there is just this big ass well wait it's accessible to anyone who wants to walk up to it it's, I mean, it's tall. You can't just, like, jump in this thing. No, it but is, it's visible, though. Visible. And it's in the middle of a clothing store, and I will, I have pictures, because I took pictures. The fun part was, I was trying to act like I was there. To shop. To shop. And then <laughs> looked at me, and he was like, the well's right there. Take as many pictures as you want. That's so funny. I think this is, like, exceptionally funny that you've now gone to a place... That's obviously haunted, except the person there acknowledged that it's haunted. And they're like, oh, I know why you're here. Because they look at you and they're like, you're clearly not interested in what's here. You're really not here to buy our clothes. But that's what happened to me in New Orleans at the, oh, that's right. at the uh, Ursuline Convent. But see, I mean, this is the thing. They've kind of embraced the reputation. You have to. It, you've kept this well in your basement. Right. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of hard. It's just the lower level of their clothing store. So it's it's brightly. That's what's kind of weird. It's brightly lit. It's huh. a clothing store. There is men's clothing. There are sweaters and hipsters just left and right of you. And this big ass well. And what I think is kind of awesome is how many people come in there and look at it and just be like... Was that? And don't know the history of it. That's so wild. Do they use it like a piece of decor or anything? I mean, it's big. It just kind of is. And again, you will be able to look at pictures of it uh, on our Instagram. Oh, I'm so excited. But it's it's kind of bonkers because, and it's big. It's bigger than you would think. That's what she said. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and no, it, it, we live up to our reputation. We live up there, but it is, it's, it's, it's very, very large. And, and it's, I don't know what I was expecting. I think I was thinking of like a wishing well in my mind, but it's, it's big. So if, if you were in Manhattan and want to check out the murder, well, you can go down to 129 spring streets, uh, and, and take a look and maybe buy some clothing if you feel like it. I feel bad <laughs> being like, go check this well out. But at this point it's well publicized. They know they're not hiding it. So. Well, anyway. that's cool, though, that they at least let you, like, look at it and that it's at an accessible place because I feel like there's so many places that would house something like that that keep it, like, locked up or hidden away and inaccessible to the public. Well, and even when it was the Manhattan Bistro, I'm, it was the basement. I don't know how often people could just go down there. So I, I do appreciate that 
uh, now that it's a clothing store, it's just there. It's just, it's also just super New York. Like, oh yeah, it's the murder well, part of our store. Well, I, I mean, I think it's nice that it's not really surprising. <laughs> but I remember, I think I saw some ghost show. You know how we always like to watch ghost shows and turn our brains off and laugh at the things okay. that that people like to uh, advertise as being ghosts when they're not. But sometimes they go to cool places. I remember years ago I saw a ghost show that was about the murder well. It had to have been before, like, 2009. Because I actually went to New York to work New York Fashion Week one one time. And it was super cool. But we were there in, like, February. And it was, like, negative 10 degrees. It was freezing. <laughs> and I remember seeing that episode about the well and like writing down the address to be like ooh, i want to go check it out but i didn't have time because my schedule was really crazy but at the time i remember it was still the bistro yeah yeah the the clothing stores within the last couple of years that they've taken that space over uh but it's 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 just it's right there giant well that's wild it's, it's not marked or anything it's just this big old well <laughs> that's so crazy i wonder <laughs> If the people that work there, I wonder how, what their turnover rate is like because of the hauntings. And, you know, I didn't at the time because this was probably a year ago or so that I, I went in and it didn't occur to me to try to engage the employee about the ghost story. As I, I vaguely knew that there that it was haunted, but I, I didn't. Again, I, I hadn't quite gone down this rabbit hole this well you mean of the, well, yep, the well of information yeah, I, went the well. I went down the well uh, <laughs> i'm gonna start calling you uh elma i'm gonna start calling you elma thank you elma scully <laughs> but when i'm i'm again i'm leaving for new york on saturday i'll be in new york when this episode is released uh if i have time i'd like to go <gasps> back and you and should i would very much love to go down and take another look at it take some more pictures and maybe if they're not busy talk to some of the employees that would be rad it's a really interesting case and it's it's a case that i think it's really sad it was our first recorded murder trial and it was a young woman who was 22 who thought she was getting married that night and and died and was murdered and that's that's sad. And it's 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 sad that her name is forgotten. More people know Levi Weeks' name than they know hers. That's crazy. And it's crazy, but it's something that happens in general with a lot of the victims right. of, of crime. And so I think it's important that we remember the victims, the victims, and yeah. and the people who and her family who you know lost their loved one and who were who were really devastated by it. So and a possible on Christmas. On Christmas, yeah, that's what's what's very sad. So speaking of which, that's why we wanted to do this particular episode. This was the more cheerful of the two topic ideas I presented, <laughs> which tells you so much about us as people. Mm. But I feel like every t every year Christmas comes up, people always talk about like a Christmas Carol and yeah. like stories. the ghost stories of of Christmas past and all that business. I just thought it would be cool if we did more of like a murdery story that wasn't what you normally hear during the holidays. <laughs> yes, it's sad, but it's, you know, true crime. And, and it's also, an interesting story. Yeah. Like historically speaking, there's a lot that that happened, but also yeah. it happened during Christmas. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and there is still a story attached to it. Yeah. You know, 
But it's a ghost story. It's a true crime story. It's a history story. Dumb. I can't. And, and we got in some Alexander Hamilton. You're so My excited name is about Alexander that. Hamilton. I can't. I can't. I... <laughs> However, oh. uh, thanks for doing all that rabbit hole research. I feel like we should call it that now. Rabbit, rabbit hole, hole research. <laughs> Not down the well. No, down the well. Kim well went. Again. Kim's gone down the well again, guys. Uh, so we have so many good hashtags for this one. I'm just like, it, it's going to well. be so great. Down the well. Checkers. Playing Wait. checkers. Playing checkers. Yep. The checkers. checkers. Oh, geez. Well, uh, having said that, we wanted <laughs> to wish all of our listeners happy holidays. Holidays. Regardless of what you celebrate, happy, happy winter, happy winter, Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, Merry Kwanzaa, or <laughs> Merry Kwanzaa. That's not a thing. That's not happy a thing. Kwanzaa. All the things. Um, the- happy everything. And thank you, Kim, for your going down your well of knowledge. <laughs> but um you know I love going down the well. I know. It's it's always a pleasure to see what, what Kim's got up her sleeve every time we have a Kim topic. <laughs> so having said that, please follow us on Instagram if you don't already. Our Instagram is ghoulish tendencies podcast. Uh, you can also follow our group on facebook our facebook page is at ghoulish tendencies podcast you can also follow us on twitter at ghoulish podcast and for show notes references um all of our episodes a couple pictures if you like pictures you can check out our website at www.ghoulishtendencies.com and to give us a topic suggestion, because we do like suggestions. We do. Or um, if you have any ghost stories that you've experienced and you'd like to send them to us for us to read on an episode, email us at Gabby, G-A-B-I, at ghoulishtendencies.com. Also, please subscribe and or follow us wherever you listen to podcasts. We're easily accessible on Spotify. Apple Podcasts, Transistor, and most other platforms. Also, rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts is a huge help. So if you want to help us get out there to people, we've seen some people message us on our Instagram saying how much they love our our episodes, and we're so grateful to hear that. We love to hear that. It's so nice. It's awesome. It really makes our days. But what really truly does. What would really help us though and help give us exposure to others who might also want to listen to these types of topics is if you give us a five star rating and write a little review. Whatever you write out that you like about our podcast and send to us, we would love if you could share it with Apple Podcasts as well. Mm -hmm. But having said that, thank you for listening and uh, stay stay spooky!